Megan Hackman. <laughs> and uh, full confession, I haven't even told Megan this. Yesterday morning, I was out doing a little shopping, and I got a text from our pastor, Megan, telling me she wasn't feeling great. She was painted me a beautiful little picture of how bad she felt, and she said, would you do me a huge favor and read my sermon? Maybe put your own spin on it. And I heard in that text, oh, I would, sure, I'm happy to read over your sermon and give you some notes and whatever. <laughs> and then I got home, and I opened the email that said, accept preaching tomorrow <laughs> at Kitsap House. And in the email to the whole team said, Stephanie has offered to do the preaching, and I went, I have offered to do the preaching. <laughs> Excellent. So I didn't even tell Megan that I totally misunderstood her text, and I didn't know I was preaching until last night, basically. So uh, thankfully, this is not my first rodeo, and it wasn't like, oh, no, what do I do? So all that to say, uh, our prayers are with Megan and Larry to feel better. Um, but you get to hear a lot of Megan's words with some of my own twist on them, and then you'll also hear a little story about how that is not the first time I've misunderstood something. So um, we believe at Kitsap House that following the way of Jesus is not just something that we fit into this little spiritual box that we keep in the corner of our lives. And we believe that Jesus is and was the most incredible, inspiring, interesting, amazing person who ever walked the face of the earth and we are in awe of him and we believe that when we follow him we find the best way to do all of life including our work including our work work is a gift from god work is a gift from god we were designed and we were created to work to partner with god in our work but we blew it when we decided to define right and wrong for ourselves, to define what was good and bad for ourselves. And suddenly there was this twist to work that made it feel like a burden, that made it feel like something we had to do, not something we get to do. Um, rather than trust and partner with our creator, we went, hey, let's do this on our own. And so we have been in this series, the middle of the series coming out of Colossians chapter 3, um, where we're talking about our work and how Jesus has redeemed that for us, that it's not a burden, that it's a gift where we partner with God. And so far, we have talked about um, that God is in all of our work. Um, we do it with God. We do it for God. We do it like God, um, with Jesus, for Jesus, like Jesus would do it. Um, we've talked about frustrating work and that we can still do that like Jesus. And last week, uh, Larry reminded us that there is no hierarchy amongst us, that we are all one. We are all one in God. Um, so here's the thing. I love that, uh, that that conversation feels so much easier to do when you like your job, right? It feels easier to, I can live like Jesus and work like Jesus because I love where I work. Um, and Megan did talk to us about when it's frustrating, you know, uh, you still can live and love and work like Jesus. Um, today we're going to address how do we do our work the new way of Jesus, not only when we don't like our job, but when our work or our workplace or our boss is simply unjust. And 
I want to right out of the gate explain that injustice or, or being unjust is just being not right. And some things are really clearly like, ooh, that is not right. And some things, like, it just doesn't feel right. There's something wrong here. Um, and God's way, just so you know, God, if you feel like it's not right, God also feels like it's not right. And God's way is to either wait and let him make it right, ultimately forever right, eternally right, but sometimes God's way is for us to act and to be his hands and feet and to bring his justice and his righteousness to the situation. I love that Megan is, uh, is not here to do this because then she clearly puts in her notes a warning that this message is so practical that you will likely feel like you have to do something about it. It's when uh, you know preachers do that thing where they stop preaching and start meddling. Like you're going to have to do something in your life and that fell to me. Maybe that was the Lord going, Stephanie, this is something you need to pay attention to. Um, but you, you may get to work tomorrow or sometime this week, you may have your eyes open to something that you go, this, this has felt not right. And I need to either wait and live like Jesus in it and show somebody that we can work through this or God might be calling you to act and change something um, in which he also then will give you the strength to make that happen. Um, so you've probably come across some situations where something didn't feel right, but you didn't know what the right thing to do was. I am a teacher. Um, some of you know that if you were here a few weeks ago, Megan interviewed me, um, about my job. Um, and I have been a teacher for 16 years. Um, it would have been 20 years, but I quit a lot. I I get bored and I just quit and go find something new to do. I've actually only quit teaching twice. But one of the times that I quit, I, I was teaching middle school. <laughs> right? um, and, uh, and one of the times that I quit, I saw a job posting on, I don't know, one of the whatever, but it was for Walden University. Walden University, if you don't know, is an online university like the University of Phoenix, whatever. They deal with the big three education, nursing, business, offering master's degrees and even doctoral degrees in those things. Um, online, they have some cohorts that they do. Um, and I, this was back in 2006, because um, it was right before we got married. So, um, and I was like, oh, it's a program information specialist. And the job was, you just get to go to schools, hang out in teachers' lounges, and just talk to teachers about the benefits of having a master's degree. You can bring snacks, you get a company card, you can, it's like, that sounds amazing. That sounds really good. And you guys are so much smarter than I am because you are out there going, oh my gosh, you were a salesman. I absolutely fell into a sales position. I need you to look around the room really quick and see if you can pick out the worst salesman. Just kidding, you're looking at her. <laughs> I, I could not sell you a coat in a blizzard. I mean, I just, I'm like, the second you give me a look that's like, maybe not, I go, you know what, you're right, I'm sorry I wasted your time. <laughs> and I back away. So I fell into the sales position. So I started my job and I went to these schools and I hung out in the teacher's lounge and I brought snacks. And when teachers weren't interested, that's fine, I just hung out and talked to them. 
And then my supervisor called me. She lived in Portland because I was in charge of everything south of Seattle. And I went to her house, actually. She said, come down, let's have a meeting. She was getting in trouble because I wasn't making my quota. I didn't even know I had a quota, right? And I said, well, if they're not interested, I'm not going to like force it on them. She said, all you have to do is collect their information. I said, and what are you going to do with that information? She goes, well, we'll send it. We'll have somebody follow up with phone calls and emails. And I went, but what if they don't want that information? Just get their information, however you can get it. Do you, you don't have to tell them that we're going to, you know, just if you're interested, you can tell them that you needed, you needed to know who was here. You needed people's names. And if that doesn't work, get a staff list from the office, and we'll just get their, their numbers and everything from the staff list. Okay, that didn't feel right. It didn't feel right. And I get that this example is mild. It didn't feel right to me to connive somebody out of their information <laughs> so that who knows what they would do with it. But that, that may be super mild compared to anything that you've maybe experienced in your work, in your life. But when work is unjust or not right, God is not okay with it. Jesus is going to help us in these situations because the Bible is very clear about what God's like and what he tolerates, and injustice is not among the things that he tolerates. The new way to work with Jesus is to discern whether a situation calls for waiting or for acting. I'm going to warn you up front, it is not always cut and dried. It's not always an easy decision. So we're going to start with what we know for sure about God and how he feels about injustice as a broad Bible overview. And then specifically we'll get into what unjust work looks like um, out of the passage in Colossians. So here's what we know for sure about God. He is just. He is just. There is no injustice in him. He is in his nature just and right. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God has always been concerned with injustice. He's always been concerned that the earth reflects his justice, that we do what he would do, that we look the way he looks. Justice and righteousness are the same word in the biblical languages, and translators just kind of made that decision whether they would translate it as justice or righteousness in a verse. So God is just, but he is also a justifier. He is right, and he makes things right. He never tips his internal scale towards wrong. He is always right. And he is the justifier. He sets the scales back to right. It's in his nature. Do you know somebody who, when they walk into a room, they see a picture that's crooked, and they just charge over and fix it? We have one in our house that somehow always ends up crooked, but it is several feet above my reach. And literally this morning, I got a big book so that I could push up the corner of it. Um, but, you know, something, you see something that's just not right, and you go and you fix it. That's what God does on a cosmic scale. He's always tipping that frame back to where it should be. In Exodus chapter 34, God declares his name to his people. Um, earlier, he gave his name to Moses, Yahweh, I am. But in Exodus 34, he, he declares his name to his people. And when he declares his name, he also describes his character. 
um, and who he was and is and always will be. And he says to them, I am Yahweh. I am. The Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And wouldn't that be a beautiful place to stop? Because the next part might make us a little bit uncomfortable. But listen to it with ears tuned towards justice and towards tipping that frame back towards right. Verse 7, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation? He is loving and compassionate, and his love and compassion is, makes it so that he's in the business of seeing injustice and sin and making it right. It's an act of love to bring about justice. God's name is known not only in word, but also in action. The story of Exodus began with profound injustice when God's people were slaves in Egypt, and he saw it. And God says he saw their affliction and their suffering, and he was coming to deliver them. After 400 years of waiting, he was taking the action to set the scales back to right. He was going to take care of the unjust Egyptians and rescue his people from slavery because God loves justice. He is slow to anger, waiting, giving everyone the chance to follow him, and he wants people to take action and to do justice. Waiting and action against injustice are both in his nature. God had a divine rescue plan to bring Jesus to judge sin and injustice and to extend his perfect justice into the world. And this eternal, unchanging way of God, we can see what's true as we try to live the way of Jesus. Everything that's not right is not right to God. So as people wanting to learn the new way of Jesus, we need to discern if this is a time to wait and let God do his work, or if this is a time to act when we encounter things that are unjust and let God do his work through us. So if we go back to the Colossians text and listen for the instructions to both wait and act, all right? We're in Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 through chapter 4, verse 1. Bondservants or slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, well, this is a part we should already know, right? We've been memorizing. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So first, notice that Paul, the context of this passage, uh, Paul is addressing a really unjust system. Paul is addressing the system of slavery. And slavery is not okay with God. I have heard it said from people much smarter than me, 
that God takes his people where he finds them, and he works with them where they are. He works with them where they are. So in this case, this system of slavery, God was working with the people in the system that existed. He is accommodating, Paul is accommodating to a cultural system that is unjust. Last week, Larry reminded us that in God's kingdom, there is neither slave nor free, that everyone is the same. All are one in Christ, and yet here, Paul is instructing bondservants in how to relate to their masters. It's an inherently unjust hierarchy, and when Jesus returns, it will be demolished. There are still people who are living in bondage, and God sees it, and he's not okay with it, and he will bring justice to those situations. God is instructing us in how to live a new way within unjust systems, and this instruction includes both wait and act. So before we get to whether we wait or act, let's take a moment and look at what we're waiting for because it's really good. What does he tell the bond servants to wait for? Now you just have to have listened. You just have to remember, right? There's no cheating. We we're waiting for God's justice. For God's justice, he is going to give rewards. Verse 24 Work heartily, knowing that you're going to receive an inheritance from the Lord. That will be the big cosmic frame tilt. When God ultimately brings his justice when Jesus returns. And at the same time, verse 25, the wrongdoer is going to get paid back. The scale will tilt that way too. That's the justice we're waiting for, right? So, ah, somebody's got to pay The wrongdoers will be paid back. But God is in the business of restoration. Of restoration. As well as. As well as paying back. The scale will tilt that way. People will be paid back for their evil. But let's remember that we are guilty too. We are absolutely guilty too will be able to withstand Judgment Day because Jesus is standing between us and judgment. Instead of the terrible justice falling on us, it fell on Jesus once and for all. Jesus took it. He took that final action against immorality and shame and evil by dying on the cross, and our judgment fell on him. So we miraculously are rescued from that judgment. Colossians 1.21 says, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ his, in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him. I'm going to say that again. You are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Jesus' death was God's one-time action and against the penalty for evil. And now we are waiting for his final judgment. God is just and our justifier. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved from that judgment and get to stand in God's presence holy and blameless without a single fault. Amazing. Let that sink in without a single fault. I can't imagine 
I can't imagine when I think of myself. I can't imagine being without a single fault. But praise Jesus that it happens. But now we on earth, the justified, are both called to wait for his justice and to be God's hands and feet, working for justice and taking action like he did. So, when work is unjust, what are we to do? We're to be as Jesus would be. We do our work with him and for him and like him, so we're not supposed to be okay with injustice. Either we're to wait and endure and pray for God's ultimate justice, or we're supposed to do something about it. What do both of those things look like? So we're going to try some real-life scenarios here, and I know we are a little light in the kid department. This is generally when we'd have all these kids trudge up here, right? So we got two of you. I'm going to let you guys just come right up here, but I need your help, okay? I need your help. And grown-ups, I'm going to, I am absolutely roping you into this too. And you can do this with just your voice. So Kiefer, you are getting so tall, I'm afraid if you stand up, you're going to hit your head on that thing, so... I'll let you guys sit. I'll let you sit, okay? And grown-ups, you get to do the same thing. So I'm going to read some scenarios for you. And if you think in this situation you should wait, I want you to raise your left. This is my left hand, but it's your right on that side, so you go ahead and raise your right hand. So if you're going to wait, raise the hand that's on this side, which for you is right and for me is left. If you're going to act, raise your this hand. For me, it's right. For you, it's left. Okay? So if you're going to wait, if you hear this story and you go, ooh, I wouldn't do anything. I would wait and I would pray and I'd let Jesus handle it. Or if you think, nope, it is time for me to do something and let Jesus handle it through me, you're going to raise this hand. Okay? So I'm going to read these scenarios to you. One of them comes from our own dear Pastor Megan. Did you know that her birthday was this week? Yes. Monday was her birthday. She got a birthday card in the mail and it was stolen. In that birthday card was a gift card to her favorite clothing store, and it got stolen. So she called up the store, said, hey, I got this gift card. What do you know about it? And they said, oh, yep, somebody spent it. I'm like, sorry, there's nothing we can do about it. So she said that lots of times their mail gets delivered to their neighbor instead of them. So it's possible that that card went to the neighbor's mailbox, and the neighbor decided, hey, I'm going to take this gift card and buy something nice. But she doesn't know if that's true or not. So should she wait or act? (laughs) All right, we got a wait and an act on this side. We have a a lot of waiters in the audience. Okay, we have an actor. Okay, all right, all right. Okay, here's another one. These are, these are actual people that you know that Pastor Megan asked for some examples. Jamie works in a job that has certain health standards for being able to teach classes. She has had an injury, and so she's not able to or allowed to work. She's able to work, but she's not allowed to because she can't go back to work until she has a note from her doctor that says she's healthy enough to teach her classes. But there are a lot of other instructors that aren't even as healthy as she is when she's injured, but they still get to teach. They don't have to wait for a note. So should she wait out the healing process or should she act to get the standards changed for coming back to work? So should she just wait, come back to work on her like when she gets to, or should she 
act and say, hey, these standards are a little bit crazy. Let's figure this out. Or should she <laughs> follow the rules and wait, but also work to get it changed? All right. So we got some waiting, some acting, some praise hands. All right. <laughs> Stephanie had a boss who always handed down all of his work to me and to the other people that I worked with, but he got all the credit for having an amazing staff and being such a great leader. Should she just endure it, work faithfully and wait, or should she stop doing his job and talk to his superiors? Wait or act? Oh, all right. Thank you for your help. Thank you for helping us all stretch out. I appreciate you. Well done, you two. The thrust of the passage in Colossians 3 seems to be that because God is just forever, sometimes we're supposed to wait. He tells the bondservant, who's actually equal with his master in the eyes of God, but he tells the bondservant in this life to work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, not with eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart. So not just keep doing your job, but do your job from your heart. What else do we say is from our heart? I love you with all my heart, right? So do your job from your heart. Don't just do it, but do it well as though you love it. Jesus' way includes not only waiting, but even enduring things as he did with a good attitude. In 1 Peter, Peter writes <clears throat> compassionately, to slaves, and he says when they experience suffering, they're close to God. If our good shepherd endured unjust suffering, it's not beneath us at times to endure it either. But wait a second. In the past, in this country and others, those verses have been used to justify, justify slavery. Slave masters used that as proof that it was okay, and that is not okay. It's not okay with us. It is certainly not okay with God. We, he won't abide it. And our, pas our, <clears throat> our passage in Colossians 3 didn't end with, hey, bond servants, do your work. Do your work heartily. Full stop. That's not where it ended. There's going to be justice for the slave owner to act on. Let's, we'll get there in just a second, but not before we challenge. We are challenged to embrace that we really are called to walk the way of Jesus. And Jesus did suffer. And that suffering was holy. And when we endure suffering, it's holy too. Jesus is very close to us in our suffering. There are plenty of entry-level positions that feel unjust in the tasks that are handed down to them. You've, they feel like those above them should be doing that work. Maybe that's you, or maybe you've been there and you remember that. But the normative experience the Bible lays out is to wait for injustice to be meted out while you not only endure that work, but actually do what you're doing sincerely and from your heart. It's not the way of Jesus to gripe and to get lazy and to complain and be argumentative, friends. Work heartily. 
with your whole self when you're in lowly positions as if you are working for the Lord. You are living the way of Jesus when you're enduring injustice. But that's not the last word, right? Here's the last word, because God is just now. Sometimes we need to do something. God wants to bring justice through us. Like Larry pointed out last week, what we do will likely be different if you feel like you're in a powerless position or if you feel like you're, you're the one with the power. What you do will look different. To the powerless, Paul's advice is to work heartily. As for the Lord, wait and act. Even leave. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 23 says, Were you a bondservant when you became a follower of Jesus? Don't be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. Stay and go if you can, if that's an option. This isn't a contradiction. It's a call to discernment. Be discerning. Listen to what God is calling you to do. To wait and endure with Jesus for him and like him or to act and see what I can do to make this place look more like heaven on earth, even maybe escaping an injustice. So after I met with my supervisor at Walden University in her adorable little Portland house that she paid for with information, I'm just kidding, I don't know how she paid for it. That's, that's not fair to her at all. She was a delightful woman. But it, that whole situation didn't feel right to me. And I quit the job. I walked away from the job. Um, it wa- I, I was not, I wasn't cut out for that job, I told you. You're looking at the worst salesperson on the planet. But also, it, it just didn't sit right with me, feeling like I was tricking people into getting their information. But I also didn't feel like I was the one to bring change to that situation. That wasn't my gifting. And there was an opportunity for me to get out. And so I did. But I know that not all those who are powerless feel like they can leave. Not everybody's in a situation where financially they can walk away from something like that. That's where Jesus is with you. Jesus is in that. I would call us as followers of Jesus to not be okay with the fact that the powerless are stuck in these positions too. And if there's something we can do, even from the outside, that we take that action that we claim the power that we have in Jesus and do the right thing. Jesus is not okay with us participating in systems that are keeping people powerless. Or if we can act on their behalf and be part of a solution that would give them an opportunity to avail people of the chance to break out, he wants us to do it. He wants us to do it. Uh, A couple weeks ago, Um, I went to Alpha on Monday night, and Larry told me a story about um, that day, earlier that day, two people had come to the door at 703 Kitsap House, at Kitsap Street, and uh, they were selling magazines. And he, so he invited them in, and you guys might know something about, like, you've had that experience of, oh, yeah. So he invited them in and offered them, you know, something to drink and just had a conversation with them, talked to them about what they do. Um, talked to him about what he does, what, what the house was about, and they had a good, long conversation. Um, 
and and I th- and one of the things he said was he felt like he needed to kind of support them that they needed they needed some support where they were so he went ahead and ordered a magazine but not before saying to them you know I think this is a scam and and I'm kind of afraid I'm not going to get my magazine or I don't know I mean I don't know what's going to happen um but they you know they were grateful and they as they left then afterwards he did some research um and he said he found later, uh, he looked up, found an article in The Atlantic that had a long-form article on the magazine sales specifically and that they are a form of modern-day slavery. And maybe, maybe you guys knew that. I didn't know that. He shared this with me, and I was like, oh, I, f- I knew somebody who used to like, be one of the higher-ups in those things. That feels wrong on every level. But they, the, the people, they get them bound, they become bond servants. They bind them in debt because they pay for their transportation, they pay for their housing, they pay for their food, and then they have to pay all of that back with their magazine sales. So if they don't sell enough to pay that debt back, then not only are they not making any money, but then they're indebted to these people forever, and they can't get out. They can't get out. They can't get out from under that debt. They are powerless to escape the system. So what do they do? Do they wait and endure? Well, yeah, they don't have a choice, right? And that's when a new person will enter the scene, the one with the power, and it's their job to act. I'm not saying you can all rescue people out of magazine sales, but situations like that, we have an opportunity to find ways that we can make them right in the name of Jesus. We come back to Colossians 4, verse 1. The new way to work doesn't end with calling on bondservants to wait and work heartily. It ends with calling the masters to act. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly. How are they to act? Justly, like God is just. Masters <clears throat> are, were being called to do something unheard of in that time. Be just and fair to your bondservants. Treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. You, with the power, are to be looking out for the one who doesn't seem to have a choice. Tipping that frame back to right. So, can you change the employee policies at your work? Can you petition your legislators? Can you donate to causes that help and protect the vulnerable? Human trafficking is a cause that gets me fired up. It is in my bones. God has lit this fire under me. And I, I can tell you numerous times, Charlie has come home and heard me say, hey, we donate to this cause now. Or, oh, just so you know, I signed up for us to support this. Or we're doing this virtual thing to bring an end to whatever. Um, but every time... What that does for me is every time there's a bill before Congress, I write my legislators. I was never that person. People say, you know, write a letter to your congressman. I'm like, I don't know how to write. I have them on speed dial. I will, and you know what? They call you. They call you back. Somebody from their office calls you back. It's pretty great. Um, God has made me compassionate toward the powerless and given me fire for the Jesus-like work of bringing justice. So back to our scenarios, do any of those need reconsidering? Those were frivolous examples of injustice. But how would God have us act? Are there any that call for waiting 
for greater patience and wholehearted work. Jesus endured his suffering. God often waited in 400-year chunks, but God is just and will bring about justice forever, complete with rewards and payback. Are you in a situation where you need to wait and work heartily? Or is it time for you to take action? When you hear about how Jesus acted, how he brought justice, when you know it's in his nature to rescue and redeem and set free and heal and welcome in, when you hear God's invitation to be like him in the world, making his character known, when you consider the radical injustices of the world we live in, where the powerless have no choice but to endure, is there any situation you are in that you think it's time for you to take action? Let me pray for the Spirit to give us discernment in our lives and in these situations. We pray with me. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your wisdom. We ask you to give us discernment in every area of our lives, in our work, in situations that we just happen to come upon that you have guided us to. We ask for discernment in knowing what to do. We ask that you give us patience when it's time for us to wait. And we ask that you give us boldness when we know you want to act through us. Father, we thank you for the gift of your spirit. I pray that we would avail ourselves of every opportunity to let him work in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a Kitsap House podcast. We are located in Port Orchard, Washington with in-person worship every Sunday. For more information, go online to kitsaphouse.org. Don't forget to subscribe and tell a friend. Thank you and God bless.